is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. I'm Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light program. Today, in Slumbertime Stories, we are delighted to bring you Section 1 of Part 3 of a three-parter. This might seem straightforward enough, but of course we haven't actually had Part 1 yet. Part 2 was last week, and the second section of Part 3 is next week. Uh, Are you following this? Because I'm struggling. Presumably this means the first section of Part 1 will be in two episodes' time, Uh, but I really wouldn't count on it. It's all a bit newfangled for me, but then I generally like my chapters to fall in numerical order. Before all that, though, we have another in our series of musings of the moment. And this week, it's the profound insights of Mare Flange from the village of Treacle Dripping. Who can forget his previous contribution to this show in the form of an old folk song about the mayor's wife, Doris? It certainly left a stain on my imagination that no amount of scrubbing with carbolic soda could erase. But enough of that. Here it is. ARC presents Musings of the Moment with Mayor Flange of Treacle Dripping. Well, well, good morning. Um, I'm Mayor Flange of uh, Treacle Dripping, and uh, you may have come across me before. Uh, I, uh, well, I'll come on to that later. I, I, I wrote a song about my, my wife, Doris, which seemed to go down rather well. Anyway, well, actually, no, talking about my wife, Doris, um, because I have been asked to uh, share some profound thoughts with you, uh, lovely people, today, and... Um, Well, uh, this reminds me of a story my wife, uh, Doris, actually told me uh, probably about a year ago now, on a a Wednesday, I think, although it could quite easily have been a a, a Thursday. Anyway, uh, my wife said that she'd come out of the house one day. Um, uh, Well, when I say house, of course, I mean the mayoral mansion, which is rather large, and we just had it repainted. People. Some of the rendering had come. What is he wittering on about? This, uh, has, has someone listened to this before broadcasting it to the entire nation? What? No, this is just nonsense. Fast forward a bit and see if he makes any more sense later on. I I found this quite stunning. I'm in fact I said to uh, Doris, I said you're talking absolute rubbish, Doris. Uh, goats don't go up trees. I, I think that's that's cows, isn't it? Cows cows up trees. Well, anyway, either way, I I I'm not in favour of cows up trees. I find. Uh, the best place for cows, uh, or, or even goats, is, is is on the ground, usually eating, you know, straw and stuff, or, or perhaps in a, in a small shed uh, that's uh, d- dedicated. No, 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 this is still total gibberish. Honestly, this is so unprofessional it makes me weep. Whiz it on again and let's just hope. Anyway, we... ...of treacle for the village fate that year. I don't know, I can't remember. Can I remember what year it was? Oh, I don't know. It was one of those years. Anyway, we'd had these gallons of treacle, and I I remember this uh, incident in particular because that was just before the cow started getting these dizzy spells. And um, the thing with these dizzy spells is that I unfortunately then had to... No, no, still rubbish. Mabel! I don't like to go... (laughs) 
who said to me that his fish uh, was bigger than my fish. I mean, I, well, I looked at him, I gave him quite a funny look. And I, I, I said, honestly, I, even my wife, Doris, knows that uh, my fish is bigger than your fish, Bob. And <laughs> he laughed and <laughs> I laughed. Um, and then talking of laughing. Wife, Doris, my wife, Doris. Everybody's had her in vet Bob, probably, and everybody. Oh, yes, what a, it was a good song that was. I remember uh, singing that song over uh, quite a large flagon of mushrooms that I'd, uh, I'd carefully prepared over, oh, several, several weeks. I don't know if I really believe her. Up a tree, down a tree. Well, I don't know. I asked the Reverend and, um... He said he hadn't seen a goat up a tree, hadn't seen any, any goats at all, in fact, he, or even really any trees. He'd mostly been in, in, in church. Dog biscuits! Dog biscuits, he was saying, and I, I couldn't really understand this. What, what he was going on about dog biscuits. Well, it didn't seem to make any sense. He doesn't, doesn't even, even have a dog, uh, the Reverend. Um, and and uh, this led me on to think about um, goats again, and uh, the application of goats and uh, goat sheds and so forth. And um, and to this day, that is why uh, I found and I believe that you should never try and tickle a Trappist monk uh, with a kipper. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, I've been Mayor Flange. Good morning. Well, that certainly got me thinking. Now on the light programme, it's time for Slumber Time Stories. And this week, it's confusion all over again, as we bring you Section 1 of Part 3, where there's yet no sign of Part 1. Shall we get on with it? Yes, we shall. Section 1 of In the Shadow of the Moon, Part 3, by Darren Callow. All was not well at Chartingfold Levels, the PM's sprawling country residence. In fact, it could easily be said that all was decidedly under the weather, if not downright queasy. The PM himself had been on edge since the evacuation of the great capital city, the outline of which was just visible on the horizon from where the PM now stood, anxiously fiddling with his pocket watch, by the big drawing-room bay window. Behind him staff with reports came and went, and his private secretary, Dr. Hieronymus Gunquit, stiffly formal in old-fashioned frock-coat and breeches, did his best to shield him from the more outlandish rumours, sweeping the government ranks like an outbreak of cattle plague. All in all, however, the increasingly troublesome briefings from the few scout patrols that had ventured into the suburbs in the last day or so had at least completely vindicated their hasty decision to abandon the city. If there was any hope of normality being restored any time soon, it would be news to the PM. 
Gazing with a loose focus into the middle distance, the PM slowly became aware of his scrupulously dignified secretary attempting to get his attention with a polite cough. Oh, Gunquit, what is it now? moaned the PM, who feared his heart might not be able to take any more bizarre happenings. Please, uh, no more bad news, oh, for an hour or two at least. Yes, indeed, Prime Minister. Perhaps a glimmer of hope is twinkling on the horizon. The PM spun around at this and saw that the twice-bespectacled, uh, one pair for distance on his head, the reading frames clipped to his regal nose, grey-haired functionary, was gripping a telegraph flimsy in each hand, but also portents of something deeply ominous, he intoned. Then, on seeing the PM's distinctly crestfallen little face, added a kindly, Could be nothing, of course. The PM drew breath and readied himself for the absolute worst. Very well. Break it to me gently, Gunquit, if you'd be so kind. Naturally, Prime Minister, naturally, muttered the secretary, glancing quickly between the two messages, wondering which one to offer first. In the end, he decided to save the better news until last. So the Astronomer Royal is here. She seems a bit concerned about something. That mad woman? I am sure it's another of her harebrained schemes, chuckled the PM, glad that so far the news didn't seem too onerous. Quite, quite, reassured Gunquit. I'm sure it's absolutely nothing, but apparently the moon is on fire. The witch's what? exclaimed the PM, very much hoping he'd heard wrong. The moon, smoke and so forth, could be on fire, etc., etc. Almost certainly nothing, countered Gunquit, looking to try and change the subject, as the PM seemed like he might be on the verge of a nervous breakdown. In other news, he continued determinedly, the Lushthorpe's son has been found. The PM was slightly struggling for breath at this point, but this was at least some more positive news. Tomish, he gurgled, almost correctly. Thomas, that's quite right, Prime Minister. Acknowledged Gunquit, with an only slightly condescending tone. One of our mercenary chaps has found him, apparently. A titch, or bitch, or somebody, he added, struggling to read the telegraph slip. Well, finally a glimmer of good news, breathed the PM, beginning to recover his usual ruddy disposition. All thoughts of rogue moon fires now temporarily forgotten. Have the Lushthorps been informed? 
Most assuredly, Prime Minister, cooed Gunquit, relieved that the PM seemed suitably recovered. The rescue party are nearly here, and Grenville and Griselda are on hand to receive him. At this point, a slight rumpus in the corridor outside the drawing room caught both their attentions. Ah, noted Gunquit, it would seem that Ms. Carshalton, the Astronomer Royal, is here. I'll be running along then. The PM felt his heart sink as the distinctive tones of Ms. Scarlet Carshalton, the eccentric planetologist and astronomer, could indeed be heard talking boisterously outside. Oh, there was one more thing, added Gunquit, with half his body already out of the door. Apparently, there is also a space cat with a secret message. And with this, he attempted to exit the other half of his lithe frame and make good his escape. However, the PM was close to apoplexy by this point. Stay, Gunquit, he roared. And with a sheepish glance and extreme reluctance, the private secretary slunk back into the room. Before he could add further explanation, though, all talk of extraterrestrial felines was halted by the unceremonious arrival of the king's astronomer, in the very shape of Ms. Scarlet Carshalton. Ms. Carshalton was a beyond eccentric character, clad today in vivid purple jacket, red breeches, and non-matching shoes. Her hair was a spiky mess of blonde and red. Uh, her uneven angular features were somewhat interrupted by a clunky brass eyepiece clamped over a single eye, which was perhaps designed to be used with a, a modern telescope or something. Tuesday greetings to you, my lord! She began rather oddly, since it was quite clearly Wednesday. I don't want to inflate my own trumpet, but I have a dramatic denouncement. She continued, melodramatically. Is the moon on fire? sighed the PM. The moon is... Her voice tailed off. Well, how the love of chicken did you know? You sent a message ahead, interjected Gunquit, proffering the telegraph slip. Lies! declared Carshalton, acting as though her very integrity had been questioned. At this point, the PM felt it necessary to step in before a fight ensued. Now, now, Miss Carshalton, I'm sure there is a reasonable explanation for all this, assured the PM, looking to calm everybody down a little before his own blood pressure hit the roof. I doubt it, blurted the astronomer. The, the flaming moon is well flaming, she declared, and without invitation bellowed for two laboratory coat-clad assistants to scuttle in and begin setting up a preposterously over-elaborate telescope 
in the bay window. At this point, Gunquit wondered whether it might be prudent to call the PM's physician, since the leader seemed to have gone rather pale again. But in the end, he had a better idea. Smartly pulling out a chair to take the PM's wobbling frame, he also called for an orderly to come from the corridor. I'll get some tea, Prime Minister, he purred in what he believed was a comforting sotto voce. And I'll get Mrs. H.F. to pop by. I'm sure she can clear all of this up. Kershawton declared this to be just the lickety ticket, and the PM gratefully sank into the chair to recover his demeanour, whilst Gunquit made the necessary arrangements. Mrs. Hildebrand Fogg was the oldest serving member of the civil service, and her vast knowledge and many, many years of advice to countless governments of all leanings and none made her counsel indispensable at moments of great crisis. Her near-legendary memory meant that, despite many modern mechanical recalling engines now being available, if you wanted to know something, she was always the best place to start. Better get coward and buttercock too, muttered the PM absent-mindedly. Feeling sure that the Homeland Defence and Attack Secretary and the Minister of Procurement would be required to do something, uh, even if it was just to make him feel slightly better. For the first time in about ten minutes, the PM felt it was actually safe to take a breath. Disappointingly, uh, for the PM at least, this idyllic moment lasted all of one half second, before the doors were once more flung open, and a quite monstrous figure in a battered black leather trench coat filled the oak-framed doorway. As if this sight was not startling enough, the figure was holding in his bulky arms a rather fluffy-looking tabby cat, now mercifully relieved of its antique spacesuit, that was looking on with an air of tired insouciance. The PM sprang to his feet and took a step forward. Titch, I presume? He inquired optimistically. Titch, my mother's belly button? Chortled Carshalton, who now had her eyepiece clamped onto the Baroque telescope, meaning that the whole tubular mechanism had to move with her, nearly knocking the head off one of her assistants as she rotated to take a gander. Fitch, snapped Fitch. Tobias Fitch. I have a message for you. Quite, quite, replied the PM, trying to sound unflustered. Uh, from our friendly space cat, who is... Uh... He looked at his private secretary for assistance. Mrs. Tickle the Third, growled Fitch, without a hint of levity. And no one, not even the balmy astronomer, dared offer even a mild chortle. It's marked for the Prime Minister's eyes only. Oh, right, gulped the PM. 
Better let me see it, then. With that, Gungquit moved with a graceful elegance to accept the message tube, but it seemed, with growls from both Fitch and Mrs. Tickle, that they would only hand it over to the PM himself. Reluctantly, he stepped aside, and the PM, taking a deep breath to steady himself, and summoning his slender reserves of statesmanship, moved forward to take the message tube. The lid was wax-sealed and somewhat stiff, but after only a minute or so struggling, the PM did eventually manage to prise it open and pulled out the paper coiled up inside. He stared at it perplexed for what seemed like an age, before finally looking up to announce, Well, it's in some sort of code. I can't make head nor tail of it. Gunquit stepped forward to give his tuppence worth, and, when he'd finally selected the right pair of spectacles, found that there was a solution to the conundrum. It's upside down, Prime Minister, he whispered, not quite subtly enough for no one to notice. <laughs> He's a right old fish, guffawed Carshalton from behind her telescope eye appendage. The PM went a shade of puce and coughed to cover his embarrassment as he turned the piece of paper round and proceeded, after a slight pause and a cough to clear his throat, to read out loud. <clears throat> the foe returned, stop. Ear, moo, be, viable, stop. Send help soonest, if not sooner, stop. Plus parts for moo, ear, stop. We'll hold out as long as possible. Stop. God save the Queen. Stop. He shook his head disconsolately. Well, it's total gibberish. For starters, we've a king now. Have done for nigh on ten years. He passed the note to Gunquit for a second opinion, although he was quite sure there was nothing more that could be added. No, no, this won't do at all. You're going to have to explain yourself, Tickle. He stared at Mrs. Tickle III with what he thought was a withering prime ministerial glare. But the cat gave him such a dirty look in return that he found himself reddening again and was forced to look away. Well, that was certainly very confusing. Who will be able to sort out the ear moos from the moo ears? Oh, it sounds impossible to me, but then what do I know? We shall find out next week as the farce, I mean the story, no doubt, continues unabated. For now, this is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb signing off. Good night, New Orleans. I wish you dreams of a bright future. Characters and stories are copyright to and performed by Darren Callow. All music 
by Charlotte Savigar. Tales of New Albion is available to buy from Amazon online stores or via Bandcamp, where the album is also available. For more information, go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production for Albion Radiophonic Corporation. Well, well, good morning. Um, I'm Mayor Flange of uh, Treacle Dripping, and uh, you may have come across me before. Uh, I, uh, well, I'll come on to that later. I, I, I wrote a song about my, my wife, Doris, which seemed to go down rather well. Anyway, well, actually, no, talking about my wife, Doris, um, because I have been asked to uh, share some profound thoughts with you, uh, lovely people, today, and... Um, well, uh, this reminds me of a story my wife, uh, Doris, actually told me uh, probably about a year ago now on a, on a Wednesday, I think, although no, it could quite easily have been a, a, a Thursday. Anyway, uh, my wife said she'd come out of the house one day. Um, uh, well, when I say house, of course, I mean the mayoral mansion, which is rather large, and we just had it repainted because some of the rendering had come off, and uh, this uh, forced us to have to... Uh, repaint the whole house, because uh, you can't really have sort of one batch of rendering. Anyway, uh, uh, I'm digressing. So the thing is, my wife came out of the house and saw, I saw a goat up a tree. I mean, I, I found this quite stunning. I mean, in fact, I said to her, uh, Doris, I said, you're talking absolute rubbish, Doris. Uh, goats don't go up trees. I, I think that's, that's cows, isn't it? Cows, cows up trees. Well, anyway, uh, either way, I, I, I'm not in favour of cows up trees. I find uh, the best place for cows, uh, or even goats, is, is, is on the ground, usually eating, you know, straw and stuff, or, or perhaps in a, in a small shed uh, that's uh, d dedicated to the, the purpose of, of, of goat or cow uh, minding. Um, anyway, well, still, the, the goat seemed, didn't seem too bothered. Um, anyway, uh, we, we put together probably about four gallons of treacle um, for the village fete uh, that year. Uh, I don't know, I can't remember. Can I remember what year it was? Oh, I don't know, it was one of those years. Anyway, we'd had these gallons of treacle and I, I remember this uh, incident in particular because that was just before the cow started getting these dizzy spells. And um, the thing with these dizzy spells is that I unfortunately then had to arrange uh, to see the vet. Now, I don't like to go to the vet, uh, mostly because when I get to the vet, uh, the vet, uh, his name's Bob, actually, uh, uh, Vet Bob, Vet Bob would say to me, where's the animal? Um, mare uh, flange because I'd usually just go to the vet uh, without an animal. Anyway, this is the, funnily enough. This is the this is the same Bob, the very same Bob, who said to me that his fish 
uh, was bigger than my fish. I mean, I, well, I looked at him, I gave him quite a funny look. And I, I, I said, honestly, I, even my wife, Doris, knows that uh, my fish is bigger than your fish, Bob. And <laughs> he laughed and I laughed. Um, and then talking of laughing, actually, that really reminds me of that song I wrote uh, about my wife, my wife, Doris, my wife, Doris. Everybody's had her in the, 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 the vet, Bob, probably, and everybody. Oh, yes, what a, that was a good song, that was. I remember uh, singing that song over uh, quite a large flagon of mushrooms that I'd, uh, I'd carefully prepared over, oh, several, several weeks. And um, I'd been growing these mushrooms and, and possibly some toadstools. Uh, well, I thought of fear to get to my goat, but um, uh, the goat didn't seem too happy. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, he'd, he'd gone up this tree, or at least that's what my wife said. I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really believe her. Up a tree, down a tree. Well, I don't know. I asked the reverend and... Um, he said he hadn't seen a goat up a tree, he hadn't seen any, any goats at all, in fact, he, or even really any trees. He'd mostly been in, in, in church. Anyway, um, so uh, we thought about this a bit longer, and um, we decided that perhaps there wasn't enough treacle, and maybe we needed to get some horses. I mean, you know, horses are very useful, especially if you've got large wagons of treacle uh, that you need pulling around, uh, you know, the village, and... Um, we do have quite a lot of treacle in our village. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, I, before I'd said anything, the vicar came out shouting, dog biscuits, dog biscuits, he was saying. And I, I couldn't really understand this. What, what was going on about dog biscuits? Well, it didn't seem to make any sense. He doesn't, doesn't even, even have a dog, uh, the Reverend. Um, and and uh, this led me on to think about um, goats again and uh, the application of goats and uh, goat sheds and so forth. And, um, and to this day, that is why uh, I found and I believe that you should never try and tickle a Trappist monk uh, with a kipper.